how sweet it is to be able to fellowship around the things of God and hang out with uh, his children. I don't think there's any part of my life that is more special than the relationships that I've been able to form through the body of Christ. Doing church, not just going to church, is really a wonderful heartbeat because the church is really who we are, not where we go, right? And so being able to share in times like we just were a part of are very precious. And uh, if you're visiting with us, this is pretty normal, except we kind of just keep doing this all throughout the week in a variety of different settings. And uh, we would invite you to connect with us in that. Well, today we're continuing our series of looking in on the privileges of the Christian life, and we land on prayer. We've been talking about living and loving the life over the past few weeks, and in doing so, we're trying to hone in on those basic disciplines that form the framework for excellent life as a believer. And there are many who would say that what we're going to be talking about this morning is the greatest gift to the Christian, and that is prayer. Because prayer is how we communicate with our God. Within the Christian realm, we have a unique privilege in that our God is alive. He's not stone. He's not wood. He's not in a tomb and still encased there. But he's a living, personal God. We believe with all our hearts that that God has manifest himself to us through the truth, his son, the Lord Jesus, who came, lived here on earth, died, and then was raised from the dead by the Father so that he could live in heaven preparing a place for us, a place where we'll go and be with him someday. And he did not leave us alone, but he left us with the Holy Spirit who dwells with us here on this earth to fellowship with us and to allow us to continue that communion with him. And generation by generation, Christians have gotten to know God by faith, a faith that begins with prayer, but then that is the beginning of a relationship that goes on through their lives. I'd like to remind you this morning that our goal in this series is not to unpack the entire biblical theology on any one of the given topics that we take on. In fact, with most of these, we're simply scratching the surface. I think if you've heard it once, you've heard it five times in this series by Brian, I could teach on this particular topic for two or three weeks. And this is one of those we could hang out for an entire semester on and not exhaust even a whit of all that is available to us relative to prayer. I was looking through different pastors and preachers through the years. C.H. Spurgeon has a book of 12 sermons on prayer. Most of the three volumes set by Lloyd Ogilvie in this Sermon on the Mount series camps out on the Lord's Prayer and spends time studying this model prayer that's given to us. So what we're simply trying to do is lay a foundation for you and in essence giving you an orientation for the journey that's to follow. That's why I like this VW van that's up here because life really is like that. It's a journey. That's kind of special to me actually because when I was a kid my dad actually bought one of those VW vans. I was seven years old. We just moved to Jamaica and that became our mode of transportation throughout the island of Jamaica. And uh, most of the time, I was cramped in the back seat as the youngest of the gang in between camp supplies or 
vacation things or VBS materials or whatever it was that we were doing as a family, as we went and did life together, probably not like the guys that are in this van, but much more like we would do as we would share and connect. They were classic road trips with Daddy Loftus. We want to continue preparing you or enabling you to accomplish the journey that God has put you on in a way that you can enjoy it to the full. So let's start our journey with prayer today by grabbing your notes, if you would. And we're going to spend a little time, first of all, talking about what prayer isn't. For many, their spiritual background has been shaped by religion. And those religious systems have taught you things about prayer that may make this a difficult area for you now. So we'd like to loosen that up by just exposing these three. There are probably more than that, but we're just going to look at three of those. First, prayer isn't supposed to be a series of memorized chants. There are a lot of religious systems today, systems of orthodoxy who depend upon praying rote prayers in their services or having their people quote prayers throughout the week. Jesus talked about those individuals in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. He talked about the vain repetition of their words. And his encouragement was, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 6, 7, and 8. That's not effective praying. Actually, it's somebody else's prayer, which may be true for you the first time you pray it. But the next 10, 20, 30 times, it probably ends up having no personal significance or meaning. Be kind of weird, don't you think? If you came in to talk to your wife and every day you pretty much just said the same series of things. Honey, I love you and I adore you and I'm so thankful for the time that we have together. You're a great wife and I'm so glad we married you. I hope the kids are well. Good night. And the next day you came in and said the same thing. It'd kind of get old, right? It wouldn't be very personal. Another form of unbiblical prayer is praying to gain favor with God or with men for heaven. This system says that unless you pray a certain way, perhaps in a certain place, with a certain posture, and do it so many times a day, you won't get to heaven. Two of the main religions in the world are caught up in this works-based prayer pattern pretty scary thing because what these individuals are saying is unless you pray these prayers you won't get to heaven and in fact if you don't pray them the way we're doing them right now you're going to lose merit points toward heaven is that our understanding of faith and how we get to heaven it's not where we're caught is it it's not where we live jesus talked about that as well in that same passage in verse five he says and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Not a good word for good works. James tells us about a third type of empty prayer. I call it the genie in a bottle approach. That's where we put our list of desires together and come to God expecting him to simply fill the list. There are actually some churches that are pretty popular in America today, who tell us we have a right to that type of prayer. 
As soon as we become believers, we can go to God and ask him for anything we want. And by cracky, he's going to give it to us because we asked. And he's obliged to. Isn't that great? Really? Is that all God is? Someone who's magically going to grant all the desires that you have? Listen to James 4, verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. This is obviously not what prayer is all about. Our God is a father who very gently and carefully listens to his children and gives to them what he deems best. And we'll talk about that as the time goes on. But I think it'd be good for us to hear again from the skit guys as they remind us of a few more of our poor prayer habits. Watch this video with me. My prayer life is vibrant and it's active daily. I like to commune with God at nighttime. I get under those warm covers and I kiss my wife goodnight. Then I just start talking to God, just me and God, tell him everything. <sighs> Makes me just sleepy just thinking about it. And there I am just laying in bed, laying out my request to him and he's hearing me and I know that I'm in good company with him. Where was I? The efficiency of one's prayers are directly congruent to the position of one's body. Therefore, the legs should be saying, God, help me. Amen. There are times that me and God do not talk, and that is not God's fault. That is mine. I just get so busy. And so when I do end up talking to God, I really just try to impress him, give him a show, just to show him how much I love him. So excuse me, will you, as I pray to God. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, beseech me not unto thee. How now, brown cow? Oh, thy soul is so dry, and if I can just catch a morsel of who you are, so verily, merrily, down the stream. God, I, I just want to be used by you. God, I want... I want to be salt and light and light salt and sight and lulled and peppers and oregano and pepperoni and black olives and those little bit. When I like to get my prayer on, uh, there's some things I keep in mind. Um, I think it's totally awesome that uh, God is like Santa Claus and he wants to give you the things that you want. Therefore, you need to keep lists of things. My list currently has 745 prayer requests on them. So then when I go to the Lord in prayer, it looks a little something like this. I'll just pray real quick. Um, let's see. The uno thing on my list is my mom. And so I'll pray for her now. Dear Heavenly Father, I lift up this sweet salt of the earth lady that you have blessed me with to be my mother. And I tell you thank you. And although I know that I'm called to respect her and I give her all due respect, there's also an issue of something she truly needs. And that is to stop a yapping. Lord, she yaps. And she doesn't know how to stop yapping. So could you please make her mute just for a day? Nothing permanent. 
Don't hurt her. I love her. Just mute her. Take your big god remote and push mute on her channel. That would be great. Henceforth, I would go on and pray all 746 things. God, you are greater than anything this world has to offer. And I can't wait for you to come back and get us. But until that time comes, would you help me just to, just to live my life day after day as if I'm just walking hand in hand with you? God, I, I have a lot of needs. And I have a lot of wants. And sometimes I get those things confused. Help me to just trust you to meet my needs. And be thankful when you give me those other things that I just want. God, I have blown it so many times today, and I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. I don't take it for granted. And God, as I start this day out, I, I'm just reminded that this world is filled with so many spiritual potholes. Please help me to walk in such a way where I won't stumble so much. And as I'm going through this day, God, Help me to live my life in such a way that would bring you glory and honor. May the life that I live be a life of worship to you. Amen. These guys are funny. Did you hear that last prayer? I believe he captured an important principle that we want to talk about in the next few minutes. Let's talk about prayer what prayer is and what it's meant to be. Take out your notes and let's spend some time going through these basics. There's some uh, blanks to fill in and we're going to move pretty quickly through them as we just lay down once again a reminder of some of the basics. This may be review for you as a mature believer, but perhaps you can use these tools when you're walking a new believer or a pre-Christian through some of the principles of living the life of a believer. And perhaps you're on a discovery road right now. You still haven't settled the matter of your faith. Perhaps these uh, principles will encourage you to delve deeper into a relationship with God. Charles Spurgeon said this, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. These are pretty important principles that we go through. So let's review the basics. First of all, what is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God about anything based on what we've come to know about God. It's talking to God about anything. The more we get to know him, the more we want to talk to him. The deeper our relationship, the deeper goes our desire and our opportunity to connect heart to heart with him. This model prayer that we just went through in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, has unbelievably become one of those rote prayers that people share when in fact Jesus gave it to the disciples to help teach them some principles of prayer. And I think the guy you heard last on the screen was getting those principles pretty well. It's not meant to be a rote prayer, but a pattern to where we're thinking through and addressing the glory of God and then dealing with the issues of men. Uh, I.D. Campbell shed some light on this wonderful prayer for us when he said it this way. This model prayer is concerned in the first instance with the glory of God. Before we ask anything for ourselves, we look for the hallowing of God's name, which is holiness. The extending of God's kingdom, which is his agenda, his sovereignty on this earth. And the doing of God's will, which is his desire in and through us. 
These are the issues that weed out all that is self-centered in our prayer lives. It's not just a matter of coming with our requests. It's coming with requests for things that bring glory to God. That will be in the interest of his gospel. And that will produce more obedience to him in our own lives and in the lives of others. Then we can start asking. We can ask for our needs to be met in the present, for forgiveness in the past, and for protection in the future. By asking God for our daily bread, we acknowledge that all our material possessions are his to give and his to withhold. This is the language of dependence on the giver of all good gifts. By asking him to forgive us our debts or our trespasses, we're acknowledging a lifetime of accumulating debts we cannot repay before a God who can forgive. And by asking that he lead us not into temptation, we're looking forward realistically, knowing that we need to be kept and protected every step of life's way. Isn't that good? Great truths that come from this pattern of praying that are laid on the table for us as believers. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul just prayed for the things he found out about people as he got to know them. He just started talking to God about it. He would hear about somebody that was doing a great work in Thessalonica, and he said, God, thank you for the Thessalonians. They are getting it done. Would you help them that they'll continue to be bold? Boy, I bet it'd mean a lot to tell them that. And so he'd write it down, and he'd let them know as he wrote letters to them and shared life with them. A communication, a two-way conversation with God as God speaks to us through his word and by his spirit, And we talk to him in prayer and in praise. So why do we pray? Why pray? Many people have asked that question throughout the years since man was first challenged by Satan that he really didn't need God. You see, Satan knows that if he could stop men and women from talking to God, he could prevent a whole lot of that which is going on in their lives that which is going to be focused because of their prayer, that which is going to be addressed and delivered to them because of their prayer. So what's the point of prayer? Does it really make a difference? God has decided all this stuff anyway. If he's sovereign, why would he want to hear from me? Well, without going too deeply into a lot of the side issues that are here, let me give you three reasons why we should be praying. The first is this. Prayer is natural for God's children. As his chosen ones, it's easy for sons and daughters to talk to their father. One of the joys of my day was for years coming home and having my kids there where we can just strike up a conversation. Well, how was your day? From Jesse. How was your day, JD? Great. Then I'd prod and he'd tell me some more. Then I'd prod and he'd tell me some more. Then I'd prod and then he'd start. And the dad just loved to hear that. You know what? Our father loves to hear from us as well. And in Christianity, we have not been given a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, says Paul. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. We communicate with God as a father. It's natural for God's children. 
We also pray because God answers far beyond our expectations. Not necessarily what we think we need, but what he knows we need. Jeremiah 33, 3, a great and classic verse on prayer says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. You know, prayer hasn't been around forever. Men didn't really start praying until after the fall. They didn't need to pray before the fall. They walked with God in the garden, right? You really don't even see prayer popping up in Scripture until Genesis 6, where the son that God gave to Adam and Eve after, uh, after their first son, Abel, had been killed by his brother, Seth, comes along and he begins to call on the name of the Lord in his time of sacrifice. And in that calling on the Lord, we see a pattern develop of people talking to God and reaching out to him, crying out for his help, showing their dependence upon him. And God answered. You see story after story throughout the Old Testament and on into the New Testament where people would pray and God would respond. People would pray and God would respond. And some of the great stories in history help to teach us that as well. Thirdly, prayer is commanded for believers. We're urged, commanded to pray. Listen to this verse in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I urge then that first of all, requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Verse 8 of that passage says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So we pray because it's natural. We pray because God talks back. He answers us, not just by giving us things, but by showing us things. Not just by passing on what we think we need, but by giving us what we really desire, a relationship with him that lasts a lifetime. And it's commanded to us. As believers, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. E.M. Bounds said it this way, God shapes the world by prayer. The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. So when do I pray? This is more of a question for you if you came out of traditions that called for prayer at certain times, in certain places, with certain postures. It is possible, even wise perhaps, to fit prayer into some of the routines of your life, but the truth is, we can pray anytime. Listen to these passages, and I'll just hit on two or three that affirm this truth. Psalm 55, 17, David said, Evening and morning and at noon I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Later on in chapter 63, he says, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Probably not like this guy did, but um, in those nights where you can't sleep, What a great time to talk to God. He's there. He's listening. Paul said it in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, pray continually. Or in the old King James, it was pray without ceasing. So the truth is, we can pray anytime. The same applies to our location. Do we need to be in a church building to pray? I sure hope not, because we only get to be in this particular building once a week. The truth is... We are the temple of God. We are the church. So technically speaking, we're in church anytime we're together, wherever we are. So we can pray anytime we want. Isn't that an interesting thought? One of the last verses we read was of David praying on his bed. 
Listen to these other locations where Jesus prayed. It was at this time, Luke 6, 12, that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 14, 32, Jesus brought them to a place named Gethsemane. It was a garden. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I've prayed. Later on in chapter 10 of Acts, we see Peter going up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He was on a rooftop. We can pray anywhere, right? There's no constraint or no hindrance from us simply talking to God. And if you've been in the faith any length of time, you probably have some fabulous stories of where it is and what it is that you were doing when you were praying for given things at different times. Rolling down the road, praying for uh, the list that God had given to you of things that were going on in your day. My mom used to pray while she was washing dishes all the time. And I would walk in and I would just see her muttering. And we didn't have those cool little earphone device things. And so I knew she wasn't on the phone. She was just talking away. I'd look around, nobody would be in there. My first couple of times doing that, I'd go, Mom, what are you doing? I'm just praying, honey. Oh, okay. It was one of those first things that helped me begin to understand that this woman really believed God is real. And she's just talking to him. How cool is that? And it began to introduce me to this concept that, yeah, I guess I could talk to God anywhere too, can't I? At any place, at any time. In fact, I would encourage and challenge you, rather than when somebody shares with you a prayer need, just telling them at the time, I'll pray for you about that, Unless you really do mean it and you're pretty good at walking away, writing that thing down and immediately praying for it, or if you've got one of those really good long-term memories like I don't, and you'll think about it and you'll pray for them on a regular basis, can I just encourage you? Stop right then. Say, can we just pray right now? Just pray for them right there. Pray with them about that thing. Intimidating? Maybe the first time. But if they've got to walk with God and so do you, What a beautiful thing it is to share together in that moment. If they don't have a walk with God, how much even more powerful for somebody who's a pre-Christian to have somebody pray over them about an issue that they had. I had a chance to do that just this last week with a waitress. She was really downcast. I said, Dawn, how you doing? What's really going on in your life? She said, my grandkids are in trouble. We're just really struggling right now. I said, well, can we just pray right now? We just prayed. She walked away. She said, thank you so much much. There's, there's, there are little things we can do that make such a big difference in people's lives relative to prayer. Well, how do I pray? We've been talking about that. The simple answer is just to talk to God. Pour out your affections, your feelings, your life to him. However, scripture does give us some helpful pointers which go along with Jesus' model prayer that can help us to shape our prayers. So let me just roll through those for you. You can fill those blanks in and then we're actually going to exercise this topic over the next few minutes after this. First of all, pray to the Father. Address Him. The pattern that we see throughout Scripture is that we talk to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Spirit. So we pray to the Father. Ephesians 3, another one of Paul's prayers. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father that He would grant you according to the wishes of His glory. Secondly, we pray in Jesus' name. We claim his authority. That's the reason 
Many times you hear people finish their prayer in Jesus' name or in the mighty name of Jesus or in our Savior's name. What we're doing is we're saying, God, we come to you as our Father, but we come to you because of the authority that you have given us to pray because of what Jesus did. And in that, ladies and gentlemen, our prayers are gospel-centered. Don't miss this. Don't miss the joy that God keeps the gospel before us even in every moment that we pray because we have no authority to come before God if it had not been for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You believe that? Christ changed us. And because of his power, we can boldly come before the throne of grace, Hebrews tells us, that we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. What a great joy is that. We get to talk to the God who created the universe, the God who made the intimate strands of our nerves and fibers and beings and the atoms that hold this world together. We get to talk to him but it's because we know his son. And his son gives us the privilege of walking into his presence anywhere we are at any time and talking to him. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. And it should each time bring our hearts back to the joy of all Christ did. So once again, may I encourage you, don't just tack that phrase on because it's the thing everybody did because you heard mom or dad do it, understand that the link to God through faith comes through the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Got that? So live that out. Thirdly, I would share with you uh, that we pray in the spirit. We allow his control. Romans 8 reminds us that the spirit is working on our behalf before the Lord. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us to pray with all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit. We also pray patiently, waiting on the Lord. David told us in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Why do we have to wait patiently? Well, we have to wait patiently because, guess what? God is on his timetable with the answers that he gives. Let me go back to the father illustration for a minute to remind you of why this is done in that way. Uh, my kids, much like you guys, are already starting, even though they're 24, 21, and 18, they're already posturing toward Christmas. You started that already too, right? You know what you want. You know what you think you need. You know where you're headed. And so you're starting to, you know lay the groundwork, you know, for how it's going to come down, right? And you're starting to work them. You're starting to work the folks. You know the system. You know how to do it. If you don't see me, and I can probably give you a couple tips because I was pretty good at working the system as the last board. But ultimately, as parents, we've pretty much already figured out what the kids are going to get, right? We know what we can afford. And more importantly, we know what they need and don't need right now. They think they might need this or that or the other, but we know that, for example, at 13, they're really not going to need a car. They might want it, but they can't get the license. They wouldn't do a whole lot with it if they did get it, so that would be a wasted request. But not long range, right? Someday, a car is going to be a beneficial thing. 
So if you're a smart kid, you don't start asking for a car at 12, right? But maybe when you're 16 or 17 or 18 or, you know, whatever your system is in your house, if you ever get to ask, you could go and make that approach. It's much like that with God. There are answers to our prayer that are very clear, but sometimes we don't like them because our answer we're looking for is yes. Sometimes God is saying, not yet. You be patient. You wait on me. And in waiting, he develops our character. And in waiting, we continue to mature and develop and grow so that we're ready for that thing. We also pray intelligently, staying focused. There are several systems of thought that have us babbling in other languages or having us talking in unintelligible ways. It's pretty fruitless, I would think, in that the whole purpose of prayer is communication, right? So if we don't understand what we're saying, how can we expect God to understand what we're saying? 1 Corinthians 14 says, What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Keep your prayers common sense, and make sure you stay focused, therefore, when you're praying. We also pray earnestly, maintaining intensity. 1 Thessalonians 3 says, We day and night keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Finally on the list is pray with a clean heart and mind. It was David who told us in Psalm 51, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily the Lord has heard the voice of my supplication. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. We don't just flip into God's presence and just start, um, you know, very lightly, flippantly passing the time of day. God wants our focus and our attention, our respect, yet our love. Well, these are some basic principles that I hope will lay a foundation for your prayer life or perhaps aid you as you teach your children and those may God, that God may allow to uh, be discipled by you in the faith. I hope that what you see out of these basics is that prayer is not a formal, stiff, ceremonial act that you need to do to gain favor with God. Instead, it's an active component in relationship. It's a key part of your relationship with God. He speaks to us, and we talk to him. It's that simple. Yet it's so important that Satan battles you when you pray. I've come to learn that in life, the simplest things are not necessarily the easiest. The secret to having a healthy body is not rocket science. You eat right and you exercise every day. Simple, right? But is it really that easy? It's work. Time spent alone with God, though, is not wasted. It changes us. It changes our surroundings. And every Christian who would live the life that counts and would have power for service must take time to prayer. I've given you some additional tools this morning that will assist you in your prayer journey. On the back of your prayer sheet are three of those. One of them is an exercise that's revolutionized my walk with the Lord, these half days of prayer, usually one every three to six months. I'll set aside four to six hours a day, go to a quiet place with my Bible, a hymnal, my prayer journal, my devotional guide, and a blank ledger pad. And the day is structured differently each time, but the goal is the same, a sweet time of prayer to get my life refocused 
before my father. You know, we do that all the time, don't we? How unnatural is it to spend an afternoon with dad? Let's go to a movie, dad. Let's go hiking. Let's go two hours up to the mountain, eat a lunch and come down. Or maybe that's not real common for you, but it ought to be. Let's, let's go hang out for the evening and play games. We would do that and see it as normal in many other relationships, right? So how about this one? How about some extended time before the Father? I could give you some more tools on that if you're interested. I've also listed some tools for keeping a personal prayer journal. Bill Hybels talks about this in an excellent little book called Too Busy Not to Pray. Finally, there are a list of things that we included in an intercessory prayer guide. This is the one that I keep. I usually put one of these together every three or four years because eventually it'll get filled up with the requests. But I just go through and tab the different areas that are listed here as well as then other things that I like to pray for. Church, family, ministry life, other ministries that I've been connected to, people I've known throughout the years. And as I connect with them on Facebook or telephone or email, I'll just write down the requests that they have and then thumb through this in prayer time to get close to them. The last thing on your list of those intercessory prayers is going to be the focus of the rest of our service. Today we want to spend some time praying for the persecuted church. Today happens to be the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so that's why we landed this particular session on this topic. And we're going to close our session today by focusing on those around the world who are currently experiencing constant pressure, verbal abuse, physical punishment, and for many, loss of life because they've chosen to try to live and love the life that Christ Jesus has given us. Hebrews 13 verse 3 tells us to remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. Paul says that the first thing that should be on the mind of the church is prayer. Prayer for all men for the sake of the gospel because God our Savior wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. One of the greatest images of the church that Jesus gave to us when he was walking here on earth was that his house would be called a house of prayer. So this morning, we're going to end our service a little differently than we normally would. I just pulled up my little communication device here. Most of you have one of these on you and thumbed through an email that I got from one of our young adults. This email is a reminder of Pastor Nadar Khani from Iran, who's expecting a verdict on whether he'll be killed for his faith in mid-December. There's also a mention here of bloodshed in Nigeria as northern militants launch a series of attacks against churches. Here's a note from Cuba as the family of Pastor Omar Gude Perez is blocked from leaving Cuba and will probably be put in prison for his faith. Egypt Pakistan, and on and on and on. Throughout the world, ladies and gentlemen, the church of Jesus Christ, which we're a part of, is having to take a hard and different stand for its faith. I'm going to ask the guys to put the slide up for us that reminds us of some of the places in the world where uh, there is restriction of the gospel. Any of these areas in gold that you see, 
the gospel is restricted and government policies would prevent Christians from obtaining Bibles, Christian literature, and in those places as well, they could be imprisoned, harassed, killed, or deprived of possession and liberties because of their witnesses. The red zones, our governments are consistently attempting to provide protection for the Christian population, but Christians are victims of violence because of their witness. That's today. We've read about this in the New Testament. We've heard about different Christians who have died for their faith, but that's today. 